Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, a Volkswagen ID.3 Special Edition. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. A Volkswagen ID.3. So, what is this, Alan? Is this the future? Yes, they, they've all got a dot in the middle. This is, I forgot the correct name for it. It's Car 2.0, I think, isn't it? I think it possibly is the future, or at least it's the start of the future. Okay. Obviously, we know all about Volkswagen. <laughs> and some of its challenges with internal combustion engines over the last few years and so this i the id3 was was on its way anyway but then of course it, it appeared on the scene it is essentially a c segment a hatchback but an electric one so it runs on a different platform from the golf mm-hmm. uh it runs alongside the golf the golf is available these days with uh, internal combustion engines and with hybrid and plug-in hybrid and the ID3 is available with pure electric. So this was their first dedicated EV platform. Yes. Okay. Was. I believe that to be the case. Yes. Right. Millard, <laughs> etc. <laughs> okay. So you had this for a week, right? So I had this for a week. Well, what's the actual one you had? So the route. Yes. This is where it becomes complicated. Okay. Because the one I had was a specification called an ID3 Life Pure Performance 45 kilowatt hour 150 PS. Tell you what, the person who knows someone on the board at VW who makes the badges for the back of cars must be so rich. <laughs> the thing is, they don't badge any of them. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's quite impressive. So this is pretty much the bottom of the range. Okay, so this is the entry point. This is basically the entry point. The thing is, this one, now, where it's complicated is that this is a model that's only actually available from stock. So you cannot go out and configurate it on the configurator. Oh, okay. So you can't actually match this and find out exactly how much it costs and stuff if you don't happen to have the detailed specs, which I don't. The closest I got was the 58, 58 kilowatt hour Pro Performance 204 PS was about as close as it got. And as far as costs and stuff go, that comes in at about £32,255 on the road, recommended retail price before any plug-in grants or anything like that. So that's before grant is taken off. Okay. All I can say is mine must have been cheaper than that, so it's coming in around the £30,000 mark. Right, okay. So that would get the plug-in grant? It would still get the plug-in grant. Yeah. Still qualify. Okay. And how it came was pretty much as basic as it comes. Let me explain the rest of the range, Mm -hmm. and then we'll talk a little bit about what was actually fitted. The ID3 range itself, it starts with life. Uh, It's one of these ones where there's a grid. There must be some sort of... Somebody must have sat down and sort of filled out a matrix uh, of what you can have. So you've got three, four spec levels, pardon me. You've got life, you've got family, you've got max, and you've got tour. So there's something above max, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, there's a higher price uh, above max. So you can go from where mine is, so round, well, mine was around about £30,000, uh, range of about uh, of of just under 200 miles and you can go right the way up to a tour 77 kilowatt hour so that's getting on for it's over one and a half times the battery that mine had mm. 
204 metric horses of output and coming in at 338 miles on the WLTP. Uh, and that'll hit you £40,535 before you add anything else to okay. it. Okay, right. So it's quite a wide range yeah. for, of what is essentially the same car and looks almost identical, but then apart but you know there's a bigger battery inside there's a more powerful motor or the motor is allowed to use more power it's quite comprehensive and wide uh, and wide range okay basically is what i'm trying to tell you there a mine on life in traditional volkswagen fashion it is not exactly laden with kitten gear okay uh, mine for example had alloy wheels alloy wheels are an option on the life spec okay think they're an option on family as well i can't remember straight off but certainly on life alloy wheels are an option you get steelies and very aerodynamic wheel covers uh, but if you want these the the rather nice 19 inch alloy wheels then they cost uh 650 pounds fitted okay and they're the same size as the steelies by the way so right. you're not gaining anything extra like that but they're supposedly not quite as uh you know not quite as aero and they're definitely more expensive. And of course, you've got to try and make it under the grant prices. Yeah. These days. yeah. So that was wheels, which you don't normally cover first. The other thing to, to cover is, is options. And mine was Moonstone. Have I got it right? Hang on. Moonstone Gray. Moonstone Gray Flat. There we are. Moonstone Gray, which is gray. I mean, it is gray, gray. It cannot be described as any color other than gray. It is just Is it gray. that un undercoaty gray? It's it's the one that looks like they've forgotten to actually paint it. Yes. <laughs> okay. Right. Yes. Yes. We all know exactly. what you mean now then. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So there's a number of colors that you can get uh, on top of that. So there's uh, glacier white, metallic. There is king's red, metallic. Now, under now you will not be surprised to hear that that is white and then red. There's Maneka Turquoise Metallic. So that's the one that you see quite a lot of the first edition. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, ones with that color. It's a bit 80s shell suit. Yes. Uh, very much of, of, of that. It, it actually always reminds me of, oh, the concept car that was a diesel-electric hybrid that they showed on Tomorrow's World doing Parallel Park. Forgotten the name of the concept car right now. Somebody will chime in. Everybody will know what I mean. There's also manganese gray metallic, mm -hmm. which is gray but metallic. Uh, there is scale silver metallic, which is silver. And there's the color that I like the best of the lot, which is stonewashed blue metallic, which is sort of pale stonewashed jeans color. But all of those, every single one of the colors I've just listed is £665. That's Straight up, if you want a color steep, it's quite steep. It's a there's quite a lot of surface to cover, but yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, if you don't want gray, six hundred and sixty-five pounds. Or if you don't want flat gray, yeah, and you can even end up with multicolored gray with uh, metallic gray for six hundred six hundred and uh, sixty-five pounds. Okay, doke. I mean, I say most things are an option, and then actually, once you get down to it, it's not so badly specced. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. I'm sure. Okay, well, do you want to try and run us through what it looks like? Well, it's, it looks like a box. It is not an inspiring vehicle to look at. It is not ugly. 
let's be completely clear here. This is not an ugly vehicle. It's a very neutral design. Well, I don't think that the flat grey really has helped it. No. But it is incredibly neutral. Nobody will be offended by an ID3. No. Similarly, nobody's going to go, wow, you know, yeah. that's a nice thing to look at. <laughs> I, I think you'd be struggling to get overexcited. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's okay. It's not bad. The, the one thing it does remind me of, though, watch me never ever receive another press car from volkswagen ever again okay. is the fact that you know you, you know some companies that put out those kind of flat folding there's a kind of plan of the car yeah yeah. and you your kids can color it in right and then you cut it out and you get the tabs and you fold the tabs around yes this was the thing that really struck me about having this for a week you fold the tabs around and then it never quite looks like a car so if you do one of like, there's a Mark 1 Yaris T-Sport or Vitz uh, RS one you can get. And it, it's great and everything. And it, it kind of looks like the car when it's all out. But whenever you, you you fold it, because you can't get the compound curves. Yeah. It's always just like, it looks like the car from the side, but from the front, everything looks a bit sort of smushed. <laughs> as if it's been sort of slapped because it's not that curve. All the edges are sharp and stuff. Yeah. That's what the ID3 is like. Uh, out of it's interest. Like somebody drew it, drew it from one angle, drew it from another angle, but never really looked at the curves of the corners and stuff. Yeah. But do you know what? It's <laughs> but it, it, the plus side of that is phenomenally practical. It comes across as the design is fine. It's fine. It is. Yeah. The design is fine. Uh, and I think that that's a fair, fair way to put it. And I feel like I'm being really a bit snobby about that but but it is it's, it's but this fine. is an and important car for volkswagen this is a very important car this is the start of their new direction yes but it also had to be done quite quickly remember yeah quick question um, um up hmm. the up the front the bonnet about two-thirds yes. of the way up uh, but also coming back down from the windscreen the bottom of the windscreen there is a big black gloss panel. What? What is? Is that just to break up the? I would imagine that one of our uh, automotive designer friends will say that it's to visually lower the top of the bonnet mm-hmm. and to make it look as if the windscreen goes much further down. But it sticks up. It does. I'm sure that'll be for aero. But most people don't notice that. You just sort of look. I know we're looking at a picture of it from the front three quarters. Yeah. Which I took. Yeah. No, but I but I have noticed it when I've gone past them in car parks and stuff like that. that I hadn't really noticed it until I was looking at photos, to uh, be honest. Okay. Uh, I hadn't really noticed it. I, I don't know if it's just to do aero and to hide the wiper blades or if it's um but I bul- I would imagine that it's there to visually reduce the bulk of the and the height of the bonnet. Okay. So from the outside, not wonderfully exciting. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, nobody's going to be offended by it in any way, shape, or form. Okay. No, that looks fine. What about the inside then? Um, yeah, pretty much the same. Uh, so, <laughs> the. <coughs> <laughs> it's. <laughs> Don't laugh at your own jokes, Alan. <laughs> no, it's poor form. <laughs> so, yeah, so the inside, uh, let's start at the back as we usually do on on, on the podcast here. There is a really quite a large, flat-floored, sheer-sided boot. It has lots of space in it. It is tall. It is wide. It is regular. It doesn't really do anything wrong as far as boots go. 
Okay. Now, some people who are fussy about these things might say that it would be nicer if the curry hooks were a bit better because they are of the molded in variety. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, they're nice and high. So at least anything you suspend from them is going to stay suspended from them. Okay. And from that point of view, that worked just great. There's no real undercroft here. Uh, there's lots of battery and, 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 and other stuff storage, but no real undercroft under the boot. So if you're taking. If you're going out and you are taking your cables with you, a charging cable, that's just in, sat in the boot. Basically, yes, it was just sat in the boot. Okay. Uh, f- from memory, there were Velcro-y bits on the bottom of the bag, so it didn't slide out, slide around. Okay. Yes, on the, the pictures I've got here, it, it, it's very much like that. It's not the greatest quality of coverings in the boot, but it's just fine. It's not, if you're not a, a sort of fussy, mojo-y type person, then you're probably never really going to notice but you're never going to go, ooh, isn't that nice? It's just it's just boot space. Okay. It works, <laughs> and it works just fine for that. No, it's good. It's really big, really regular. You can actually fit lots and lots of stuff in it. Super practical. Good. Moving forward to the back seats, it's, I'd say it's like two and two-thirds to two and three-quarters seater in, in the back. Mm-hmm. They are relatively flat. I mean, there is a slight hump for the middle seat, but not a lot. No more than an inch and a half or so. And all of the the the, the seats, the, you know, the seats are, are broad and quite square. They're not heavily sculpted or anything like that at all. No shoulder issues. You know how sometimes if you're at the outside when there's three people in the car, uh, you get kind of squished against the door and you yeah. end up leaning your head over. Well, that boxiness that I was making fun of when I talked about the outside fantastically practical okay one other thing to say about the back there's two reading lights up in the middle so even at night and stuff whenever you open the doors it's not quite honda hrv level of pleasant illumination but (laughs) it's pretty darn good okay okay it it is excellent there also so there's no obviously ev uh you sit above the battery pack so there is no floor hump okay um that's that's perceptible at all middle passengers not having any issues with with that kind of thing either good is there any charging things for the rear passengers uh yes there are two usb c ports in the back of the sort of central binnacle where it comes back uh, into the rear so there's two usb c ports down there excellent it's little door cubbies they're not hugely huge but there are little door cubbies on both sides uh this uh level of spec then there is no privacy glass or anything, so lots of light getting in to illuminate the grey. There is grey cloth with patterned grey cloth inserts. Mm-hmm. It's very much lower end of a Volkswagen spec range. The cloth is hard-wearing, rugged, etc. You know, it's going to last longer than many South American countries. <laughs> so what's it like up front then? It's, again, it's really quite spacious up front. Uh, One of the things that's quite surprising uh, whenever you are are in front are the really comfortable, again, that kind of hard-wearing, no-nonsense captain's chairs. So each side, I mean, this is almost an MPV in disguise, Mm -hmm. especially with its sort of mono monospace uh, style body. Front, really comfortable front seats. They're not exactly the most supportive things in the world. But on the other hand, you don't have to climb over the bolsters to get in and out. Uh, obviously, they're manual. Spec, but I find them really, really comfortable. Uh, one thing you do get is each front seat has its own individual armrest uh, in the middle above the, the central binnacle. Nice. Uh, and that's quite nice because it's adjustable as well. I do like that. And frankly, there's not really much for your left arm to do in this car. 
you know, you're not snicking your way Apart through a holding the steering six wheel. speed box. Yeah, you can hold. You, basically, it's for holding the steering wheel, and you can do that quite happily with your le- with your left arm resting on an armrest. Yeah, uh, if you're on the motorway. There's that, and there's quite a lot of space. And one of the reasons there's quite a lot of space is there's not really a lot else up the front. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you are never going to be feel threatened and overpowered by the number of dashboard buttons in this car. Let's let's try and channel the spirit of Andrew and give you a button by button account. That's <laughs> what people tune in for. Is it really <laughs> the masochist? <laughs> I have the ability to argue back with you, and I still feel I'm suffering it. Anyway, uh, steering wheel, three-spoke steering wheel. It's got quasi-buttony haptic buttons on it, Mm -hmm. but they're all illuminated. They're all easy to find. They all work well. Left-hand side, all the stuff for the the adaptive cruise control, because, yes, even on on stripper spec, uh, there's still adaptive cruise control, emergency braking, et cetera, et cetera. On the right-hand side, then, it's for working your way through the menus, uh, uh, through any menus on the screen, and also working the entertainment. So your volume, you're skipping back and forth. Uh, so the right-hand side is uh, allows you to swap between views on the... Uh, I can't call it a dash panel. What do I call it? Screens. On the binnacle, <laughs> the little mini, mini binnacle screen thing in front of you. It lets you skip between the views, and then sort of top left on that spoke is voice control and things. And then everything else is for up, down, and volume, and okay, and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Storks do what storks do. They're standard Volkswagen in their behavior. Uh, so indicators on the left, obviously. Lights and wipers on the right. And then it gets kind of convoluted with the number of presses and pushes backwards and forwards to work rear wipers uh, and wipers and, and stuff like that. Obviously, auto wipers uh, as as well. Mm-hmm. In front of that is the binnacle. Now, the binnacle is, is really quite a small screen. It's maybe about uh, seven or eight inches across diagonally. And it really is sort of minimum viable instrument binnacle. You know, it's, it's, it's not quite two CV, but it's getting there. But then it doesn't need to tell you much. Well, exactly that. So it gives you the speed. It tells you if you've got any doors are open. So the speed's in the middle by default. And then on the left is the is your lane keeping assist mm-hmm. and your cruise control display shows there. And on the right hand side it shows what's coming up next on the on the sat nav if you're using if you're using the built in sat nav. Okay. And if you're using CarPlay as well, it comes up there too, which is really nice touch. All right. Just off to the right and kind of sticking out to the right is your drive selector. So there's no lever in the middle or anything or no sets of buttons. It's a kind of uh it's a kind of knob type selector setup. If you've been the BMW i3, it's similar where you drive you you kind of turn it away from you, the top away from you to select drive and to select the brake mode, so uh regen, extra regen. You turn it towards you to put it back into neutral, and then towards you again to put it back into into reverse. Okay. So really, very, very simple. It's maybe just the picture that you've taken uh, and with your camera, but that does look quite a distance away. 
It's not. It's just that the binnacle is very small. It's actually really nicely positioned. It, a lot of it's the angle. It's nicely positioned, so you just you can take your right hand off the steering wheel and turn. With oh, good. Yeah. Good. Okay. So, so it's no. It's really convenient. It's it's really handy. It's 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 there. Well, that's good to know. Right. Thank you. Just to the left of the binnacle, between the binnacle and the sort of main screen in the middle, there is way forward on the dashboard a small hexagonal panel of buttons which I never needed to touch. Okay. So there's stuff like turning the lights on and auto lights on and for the, uh, uh, and yeah, lighting related things. Those are about as close as you get to a physical button in this car. <laughs> uh, and I, and I never touched them. I never needed to touch them. Right. But there is a, there is a small panel uh, just there. Pretty much everything else is controlled via the sort of touch screen in the middle. And this, I know, is a source of some consternation between some. I actually found the nav system to be, the, the general operating system, to be pretty good once you were going. Okay. I should really talk about this later, shouldn't I? I should really talk about this in technology. But uh, it's pretty good. But otherwise, when we're talking about the dashboard, oh, so I'll describe that more, uh, I actually found it quite easy to use and relatively easy to get to the controls that I needed to control. Mm-hmm. The thing is, underneath that, there are some absolute sort of touch panel areas on either side. So you can put the temperature up and down for each side. It's dual zone climate control, and at each side, there's up and down. There's uh, the blue and red buttons, uh, and then in the middle, there's volume up and volume down as well, depending on which side you press of a big wide button in the middle. This was about the only control that gave me any trouble in this car. And I'll tell you what it was. It mainly happened at night, and it was when I wanted to touch the touchscreen. And so I'm in the habit, when I'm touching touchscreen with my left hand, of balancing my left thumb on the ridge at the bottom of a screen to hold my hand steady. Okay. So that I'm not doing the whole pin the tail on the donkey arms, bouncing up and down on, <laughs> on, on crummy roads and stuff. So I sort of rest the thumb and then press with the finger. And that, that works for me. I don't really find touch screens to be overly irritating. I prefer physical buttons in many cases, but that, that's my workaround. The trouble was, in the dark, I didn't really feel that these were illuminated at all. And so what I'd do is I would accidentally put my thumb on them and I would make volumes go soaring up or volumes go soaring down or change the temperature with my thumb as I tried to touch the touch screen. And that, of course, where by doing that, it then changed what was showing on the touch screen. So, yeah, I think that if you've got Not more than a week, distracting. You'd, get, you'd get used to it. I think if you're there for doing it, had it for more than a week, you'd get used to it. But in a week, it was like, oh, damn, I've done it again. Um, <laughs> it was quite, It was quite annoying. These things happen. It would not you know, not the end of the earth, absolutely not a deal breaker with it. But given some of the horror stories I'd, I'd heard, I, I actually didn't have an issue with that at all. Well, I'm glad you, glad the software wasn't a, a total pain in behind for you in any we'll way. talk a bit more about it later on, but it, it wasn't a total pain in the behind. There you go. That's what you need to know. Okay. Below that, there's uh, some other buttons for things like uh, red screen defrost and uh, hazard lights and, and stuff like that. So some other minor buttons. Air vents, and then right down at the bottom, there's a little there's a little net mounted vertically. I don't know what you put in there, because it's out of reach. Whenever you're in the car, it's out of reach. So I'd maybe keep a windscreen scraper or something in there, right? Because it's something that I'm not going to, because you can't reach it if you're driving. Mm-hmm. 
Back from that, central area, central sort of bit between the seats, two mahusive cup holders up front with little mechanical cup retainers. Yep. Can fit a bottle of wine in each one, should you need to. Oh, excellent. If it needs one's desires. And behind that, there's a bigger cubby with a slidey bit. And it's got a couple of, couple of USB-C, a couple more USB-C slots, uh, ports in there, and some space for stuff. Okay. I can't remember if there was a 12-volt port in there or not. The cubby further back has a slidey top over it uh, as well. Uh, and then, of course, you can fold down your uh, armrests. One thing I will say about the interior and in the front is the plastics. Now, I know we make fun of these some hard plastics yeah. world. I did find the plastics, particularly on the doors and stuff, where my, my where you, you do touch them. And it is somewhere where it's a very relaxing car to drive. So maybe my elbow ended up on the, the on the window bit. But I did find there more of, I would more expect to find, you know, Volkswagen such a great reputation for interior quality from the Golf and all that stuff. I will say that when you moved away from the main touch surfaces, so the steering wheel, the drive selector, the, the touchscreeny zones, that everything was a bit scratchy. It was a bit more, how do I put this? It was a bit more like I'd find it in a caddy, small van, than I would find in a Golf. Okay. As far as expectation goes. It could be because of this spec level. I'm not sure it was, but it could be because of this spec level, and and, and that would be it. I, I, I'm saying I'm I'm trying trying not to go down the some hard plastics route. One other thing, quickly to mention while you're in the front, uh, lots of space. Thing, the bottom of the windscreen is some considerable distance away. I was going to ask again. I was looking in the picture, and I'm going. That seems Mark One Espace distance away <laughs> well it's funny you should say because i was about to say have you ever been to renault espace <laughs> but it, that's what it is it is getting on for mark one renault espace distance away what they have done at the bottom of the windscreen though and i really like this is there's something called the id light okay now let's move past marketing let me explain to you what it is and what it does i think it's really cool but i'm a big kid so there is actually a row of LEDs, and they're really nicely hidden because you can't see them when they're off. And they go the width of the bottom of the windscreen. They can show in multiple colors and things. But when you get in and you turn it on, and it, I didn't notice it to start with, it does a whole sort of kit thing. It goes, Woo, and does a little animation stuff. And obviously it does it on the animation on the screens because, hey, we're used to that now, and there are screens, and so you can do it. So it does a little sort of animated thing. And if you press the voice control thing, it's sort of a bit like, you know, Siri or whatever. Uh, and, and hello, Michael, Knight Rider type thing. But as well as that, if you're using the Volkswagen sat-nav, then as you're coming up to junctions, sure, you've got the icons on the screen if you want. You've got the icons on the, on the little binnacle if you want. But it also does this kind of subtle swoosh thing from the middle to the direction that you should, you're coming up to, coming up to turning. It's not predicted on the screen, and, and this for this model, there's no on-screen display. So I know that the higher models of uh, ID3, then it has really quite a large, really quite a clever uh, head-up display, which incorporates uh, augmented reality to okay. display arrows pointing which way you should be going. This doesn't, but it has the ID light, which does similar. Right. So as you're coming, and it's really helpful, because you don't have to look at a screen for the sat-nav direction. You're coming up to the junction and you just see this this thing at the bottom of your vision 
and it just moves to the right and it's like, oh right, okay, so I'm turning down this one. It worked really nicely done. Other thing I really liked is when you plug it into charge, it acts like a sort of battery level indicator. When I was really low at one point, I plugged into a hundred kilowatt hour charger down the road, 150 kilowatt hour charger down the road. ID3 can be charged up to 100 kilowatt hours or, or kilowatts, pardon me. And when plugged it in, it does this really nice animation. And so it was red at one end and then it had all the little thing. It was as if all these little things were marching from the right hand side of the car to the left hand side of the car. It was sort of, Look at all the electricity running in. <laughs> and as it fills up, then, it, the, then the steady state bit goes further and further from the left to the right like a battery level indicator and it turns from being red to being green mm -hmm. and it's like all the little all the little electrons running in to join your battery which i thought was really cool and i know it's silly and the funny thing is this is such an austere car yeah. in so many other ways it's such an austere car and, and that i really liked that i really thought that was fun and it really amused me mm, and i it just i don't know if you can tell i'm i'm making a lot of fun of this car but i did actually have quite a an admiration for it in the week that i had it i wouldn't say i liked it or i fell in love with it or anything like that but there was lots of things we thought hmm yes i quite like that hmm yes i quite like that that was one of those things i really liked the idea i thought it was phenomenally practical at times when you needed it to be practical but it was also used in a kind of slightly whimsical way uh, whenever you you didn't need that absolute practicality oh good so what about the driving well it drives is, it, is this a bit like the exterior? It's sort of like it's fine. It is. No, it's it's perfectly good. You know, it's smooth. It's comfortable. You you have. It's one of these cars where you have no particular compulsion to drive like a loony. Okay, you just want to get from A to B. So it's a relaxing EV experience. Phenomenally relaxing EV experience. Okay. It's very refined. The despite you know me saying that oh, some bits you you feel that in some places corners have been cut then i didn't have an issue with any of the nvh it was very refined very relaxing got for me to be when i was dodging around town and dodging around locally perfect absolutely perfect as i say it, it, it it's quick enough mm -hmm. even in this lowly spec you know much quicker than the e-golf which got me embarrassingly burnt off the you know you're in an ev and you think yeah i need an ev so i'll i'll have you little low-powered mg said T, the little one said oh, i'll have you uh this is in the e-golf put my foot down just did nothing and there's flipping tiny rubbish it wasn't even a good one rubbishy little mg disappeared off i was like Rrr. that was embarrassing because i'm not used to that i'm not used to that happening with me oh, uh, but this did no such issues I know. <laughs> I know i know i am such a boy racer but they were dithering and they couldn't even get past them when they were dithering not an issue with the id3 okay range i was getting now i don't know if the one i had had the heat exchanger in okay it's about a thousand pounds worth of option if you want the heat exchanger but it does make life easier in the winter i was getting a range of about 165 ish miles on cold days from full on cold days uncharged so i was going out onto a into a cold car when it was one or two degrees outside starting it up and of course it had to heat up the battery and it had to heat up the car and stuff so it was a worst case of about 165 ish miles okay generally if it said a mileage it wasn't that far off it maybe overread a little bit sometimes for i took it to london and back 
I was getting about 180 odd miles, and that was sitting with the motorway traffic. That was not driving like a a featherfoot person because I knew I was going to have to stop and charge anyway. Yeah. So what difference did another five five minutes make? For me, that at the smallest battery level was great for dodging around locally. It was a little inconvenient on longer trips. Yeah. So that slightly bigger battery. I mean, the next size up uh, is a 58 kilowatt hour, getting just about 200 and something miles. Uh, you'll reliably get that. So I wouldn't have an issue uh, an issue with that. I think I would go one battery size up probably okay. if I had my way. And that still should bring me in, would still bring me in about 33,000 pounds. So probably just a bit over the ground. Yeah. But yeah, that would be there. I charged a couple of times, charged a few times during the week. One night I left it plugged in here. Bit of a shock when I came down in the morning, reading four pounds something in my on my <laughs> smart meter. It was like, what? You're normally only about pound something at this point, and then realized that actually it cost me four or five quid to to just top up the car charge overnight, uh, which was just fine. Not mm-hmm. a big deal. Charging uh, without a subscription at 150 kilowatt hour, chargers can get expensive uh, i charged up to about 80 percent from sort of 10 percent or 15 percent cost me 12 pounds something uh-huh. but it only really took me the length of time it took me to wander around the m&s simply food picking up my shopping and coming out and then it was it was pretty much full and i waited another couple of minutes just let it go to the 80 percent 80 percent the nice things i found and i'm starting to lapse into tech here but it's also related was that it shows you how many miles and how many miles per hour you're loading uh, i was up to almost 200 miles an hour at one point i think possibly quicker how fast you were cramming electrons into the how battery how fast i was cramming stuff into the battery which i thought was was really quite clever um, and really quite quite good it was just nice it just gave you a comparison and it seemed to work quite nicely as I say, I charged a few times. I'm very lucky here. I have a number of different charging places, uh, different networks, uh, different speeds available to me, and they're really full. There's like one in the middle of town, which is a right pain, partly because it's an older polar one. It's also very convenient for the middle of town. So it's convenient for that. So loads of people want to use it. It's also an older polar one, so it doesn't accept uh, uh, chip and pin. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, uh, contactless. Which has been upgraded yet? Hasn't been upgraded yet, and it's constantly in use. In right. fact, there really should be a second one there, but all the taxi drivers use it. But yeah, I didn't get a chance to use the Instable either uh, nearby. I did charge at Milton Keynes Coachway again, mm-hmm. which is a great facility. Loads and loads of chargers, really accessible. Always stuff available. Absolutely no infrastructure roundabout. It's just sucky, uh, really. Just take your own flask and sandwiches. It really better off taking your own flask and sandwiches. It's got to be better than the bus station cafe place, which is all right, but it's miles away and it's not wonderful. You know, this time, yeah, let's not be a snob, Alan. You've started to talk about tech. I have. I had heard lots of horrible things about the current system in Volkswagen, uh, in this platform of, in this generation of Volkswagen group vehicles so that's yes. not just volkswagen that's also seat uh that's also uh cupra and uh and not so much audi but definitely those definitely and say uh skoda 
because this was their first this was their big fanfare we're doing our own software yeah. stuff wasn't it and mm-hmm. um this was a this was a, a big project of dices mm, and that he yeah. kept shouting about it and saying it's going to be brilliant and when it came out initially there were issues there were challenges but it's it i but right okay remember Alan works for a company that develops software and releases software, so I have a slightly so more forgiving issue. <laughs> I am a little more forgive. I'm forgiving of just about everyone apart from our own, to be honest. So yes, I'm a bit more forgiving. I found it fine. I didn't have an issue with the speed. I didn't find it lag too much. I didn't find any of these things at all. I actually preferred the VW Nav to any of the CarPlay-based ones, partly okay. because I liked the ID light telling me where I was going. I didn't do that with CarPlay or with Apple Maps uh, or Waze. And I just liked the UI. The UI was the UI for the certainly for the nav was really nice. Okay. Did I, I liked it a lot. I had two complaints. One, uh, when I was trying to release from an on-street lamppost based charging in central London, the car had a bit of a tizzy and started telling me things weren't available until I sort of tried to work out how to basically turn it off and then on again which was not wonderfully easy. Well, it was just a bit frustrating, and I was a bit worried that I was tethered to a lamppost in central London. When I came back to the car, I'd realized that that charging unit was meant to be uh, residence parking only and not actually available for every Tom, Dick, and Harry who got up. <laughs> that was my main concern about this was, oh, no, I'm stuck and I'm not a resident. That was five minutes, but felt like 25 <laughs> <laughs> trying to get it to trying to get it to, to loosen the cable and i had the same problem with the e-golf to be honest the only two cars i've ever sort of got me feeling that oh goodness i'm locked to a charger and my other complaint my second complaint is it took a quite a while to boot up in the morning okay if you hadn't used the car for a couple of hours it took a while for everything to come on stream to connect to your iphone to connect to uh, to connect your I- iPhone and CarPlay to to actually be really sort of useful and accessible. Mm-hmm. And that was a bit annoying, especially if you're in a bit of a rush, you can need to put the thing in, the destination in. But then the, the voice control actually almost worked. Pretty happy with that. Once it was up and running, I, I find it was just fine. Okay. I-, I did find it was just fine. That wasn't an issue. What else? That's about it, really. I mean, I take it it's that, got all the typical it, safety stuff one would expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, oh, that was another time. I didn't find the AB overly sensitive. Okay. Didn't find lane departure warning. Found lane keeping assist really good. Usual story with the Volkswagen ones. It it won't let you undertake unless you give an extra little or accelerate past vehicles that are to your right unless you give an extra little tap of the throttle. Smooth and easy in central London, sat quite happily on the motorway on the way down. Yeah, no no issues with any of, any of that stuff. Uh, one thing is that whenever you it does the EB does go, the ID light just like boom red across. You, you can't miss it. And yet, it managed to do that. It managed to bring up a, an icon, a significant icon on the small binnacle in front of you. And yet it wasn't irritating. And it wasn't ridiculous, and it wasn't overly sensitive. I didn't feel okay. It did it to me when I was weaving between cars uh, and sort of keeping my foot down when you would expect to be lifting off. I felt feel it was perfectly within its rights and reasonable to do that. If I'd had a passenger in the car, I wouldn't have been doing the same thing because they would have been doing the thing. 
So I just looked on it as a passenger going beside me. So I, I didn't have an issue with that. Not, not a problem at all. Does that round it up? Is there anything you feel I've missed, Andrew? Did you, have you got any reaction from, or did anybody come up and ask about the car? Was there any reactions from oh, your yes. neighbors? No, not from my neighbors other than, oh, it's one of those. Uh, no, I was, do you know what? In central London of all places. Was this one of the residents going, oi, you've parked in our spot? <laughs> no, I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I was like, Fred had just bought something different, but she noticed me. <laughs> she appeared just after it had actually released the charging cable so I could leave um, <laughs> where I was. And and I was standing at the back of the car, just coiling up the cable to put it neatly in back in the bag and in the boot. And she came and said, oh, how did you find it? What's And I said, well, you know, it's, it's not my car. I'm testing it. I've got it for a week. So I've had it for a couple of days. So I'm trying to. And, and then she, she had the way, you know, how did you find charging it? What do you think of the, and lots of that kind of stuff. Just, uh, it was very obvious. I was doing electric car things by, by disconnecting, coiling up cables. Mm. Uh, and that was kind of it. I think most people are getting there with EVs. Uh, I say I didn't have any issues. I mean, I guess it was kind of controlled circumstances. I knew that if I, and if I stopped at Milton Keynes on the way down, I'd have loads to get home again. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. And I'd given it a little top up just in central London to just try one of these, uh, try one of these lamppost chargers, but it was only a five kilowatt hour. So it was really very slow. Okay. Um, I should almost have parked in the, in, in one of the undergrounds, uh, which I know has charge points, but it was kind of convenient there. Mm-hmm. So I just did it and, and then realized I shouldn't have done, uh, <laughs> but it was, but no, I didn't have an issue with any of that kind of stuff. I, I didn't, people weren't, I don't know. I just didn't have any questions or anything from from people generally. Okay. I mean, there's some. The one one friend commented, "Why do they always have to make EVs so ugly? Why can't they just look like cars?" Mm. Okay. It, I, I comment about it. Why it just it's just trying too hard, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All right. All right. I noted opinion opinionated person mind. Okay. But yeah, so that was that was so. So what did you think overall then? And what was your experience of the car, the car itself, and how have VW done? I liked it. I, I think if somebody said, Alan, you have to have this car. This is the car choice that you have to have as your day-to-day, everyday, daily driver. I don't think I would be upset. Not even at that spec level, by the way. Okay. I, I wouldn't be upset by it. I wouldn't be massively excited to have it. It's not possibly a car I would choose because I like stuff that's a bit different and a bit funky, and that's that's my problem. But it's the kind of car that I would recommend to others. So do you think it was a good stab at mm-hmm. reinventing the car of the people or car for the people? Yes. Yes, I think so. But I also think it's a first stab at it. And yeah. sure, you know, the initial proof of concept was the e-golf to just make sure they worked, stuff worked and that they could make transmissions work. So I think we said that at the time when mm-hmm. I had e-golf a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. I I'll be very interested to see what the Mark II ID3 is like. I think that would be a cracking car, and I actually think that some of the other Volkswagen brand vehicles based on this, this so the uh, the uh, Cupra Born. I'm interested to see that what they do equivalent Seat name of which escapes me. Yeah, then actually really interested in those. More interested in those having tried the ID3 than I was beforehand. Yeah. 
I liked it. It's a car I admired. It's not a car I was like, oh no, it's going today. I, I you know, I really want to keep this. But it was a car. It was like, no, I, I, I have a lot of respect for that car. Is it on the list now? If people say, oh, I want an EV, but I'm not really into cars. Yes, you know, like we used to do with, we'd say with the with the Golf, or we'd say with uh, Hyundai IKEA if they're not particularly worried about a badge. It's 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 that, but if you're reason. more of a badge, if you're more of a badge snob, yeah, yeah. Personally, I would prefer Hyundai IKEA. I'd rather an Ionic Five. That that's where my money would would go towards, or possibly even an EV6, but they're more expensive. Yep. And they they're larger as well, and they're a bit bigger, but they're also a bit more polarizing. So yeah, so I, I, it's it's on the list of cars what I would would recommend to other people. Okay, and I wouldn't be upset to own myself in any way, shape, or form, and I wouldn't judge people harshly for owning them. And I judge people harshly for owning cars because I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm such a, we all do such a, we all do such such a prat. It is, but it is you know it's, yeah, it's yeah. a little bit of a car person thing. So yeah, no, liked it a lot. Lots, as I say, lots and lots of respect for that as a car. Excellent. Well, I'm I'm glad that they've made a good fist of their first stab at a dedicated EV. Yeah, me too. Me too. Liked it a lot. Cool. Anyway, uh, folks, if you want to know more about the weekly motoring news, don't forget between now and next time you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page at motoringpodcast.com. The hub of all our activities please don't forget to leave a review and rating on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such thing andrew what's the best way to get in touch with you best way to get in touch with me is via twitter if you search for crack windscreen you should find me there and alan if people would like to know even more about the id.3 what's the best way for them to get in touch with you personally I've just looked at the runtime for this <laughs> this show before editing. And um, yes, I'm not sure there's much more that could be told. Uh, but the best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. We'll be back before very long. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring. <laughs>